0: Uh, Ryan Hamilton kind of uh, makes fun of something that is now, uh, by some standards metrics, five, a $5.6 trillion industry uh, that from the time of Jack LaLanne, some of you know that name, um, until now there is $5.6 trillion being poured into the wellness, fitness, healthcare industry. And as you might expect, there are a variety of opinions about what constitutes wellness. Uh, you need these four or five things, and if those things are true for you, then you are well. Or if you, you know, don't stop doing these four or five things, well, then you're out of luck. Good luck. Wellness is a thing, and we're all aware of it, and even if it's not really a priority for you, you've been bombarded with information about it. Paul... And Jesus are brilliant about knowing the audiences to whom they spoke. In this sense, among others, they would invoke ideas and imagery and stories that would resonate and clarify really deep theological ideas in the language that all of us could get. And one of those images that Jesus and Paul used to communicate the idea of living in the gospel is the idea of a body that those who have come to see Jesus as Lord believe that they are in need of him and have been blessed by him and that they are reconciled to the Father and belong to him eternally because of what he has done, as I said at the beginning of our service. That's not just an idea that you fall into. You fall into a community of people that are like-minded. You become a body. And for the month of November, inasmuch as we think about Thanksgiving on one day a month, we're trying to maybe stretch us a little bit, by giving thanks the whole month. And the whole month of Thanksgiving, the whole month of November, we're trying to give thanks for this, the gifts that God gives us by his Spirit. And the way all of what I've said so far all relates together is this question. As soon as Paul starts talking about the gifts of the Spirit, as we spoke more in detail last week, he immediately pans out and says, let's talk about what does a well body look like? What does wellness look like? In whom the Spirit dwells in a people? What does wellness in that body look like? What is it marked by? What constitutes wellness in a body? That's our burden this morning, to be stretched, to consider again those in whom the Spirit dwells and who has given and, and in whom the Spirit has to whom the Spirit has given gifts, what does it look like when those gifts function well together in a body? What is wellness? We're going to look at verses 12 through 26, continuing Paul's uh, elaboration on the nature of the spiritual gifts, but we're going to invoke three ideas out of the fitness world, out of the wellness vocabulary that I think correspond to three ideas that Paul was trying to get across to a body, to ask yourself, is this the body you joined? Is this what you've signed up for? Because these are the marks of wellness in a community. So I'm going to put it under three headings. Core strength, inner balance, increasing flexibility. Core strength, inner balance, increasing flexibility. I promise I'll do my best to try to tease out those metaphors as to how it relates to wellness in the body. But before we do that, we should probably listen to where we're going and ground our ideas in something bigger than our own perception. So, would you stand? We're still in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll start in verse 12, of all things. Imagine the providence there. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. "'For just as the body is one, and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body,' but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have seat. So um, let's talk about, Core strength and in order to do that uh i I mentioned jack lalane i'm actually going to invoke a moment from early in jack lalane's career so for those of you about to see jack lalane for the very first time oh you're in for a treat and now here is the man who will show you how to feel better look better
1: jack lalane you know there has been so much talk of late about the importance of exercise the importance of better nutrition, the importance of positive thinking. All of these things we are going to learn together. I like to consider myself as your personal physical instructor and your health consultant coming into your home every day. Now I'm going to show you just how easy and simple and how much fun this all is. Now get up on your feet, that's it, and give me a great big smile. Alright, that's it. Now stay right there. Now put your hands on your hips. Now first take your right leg lifted up, then your left leg. Now I'm sure you can do, sure you can do that. Ready? Begin one two three four one two and up and down and one and two and three and four and rest one two three now that wasn't very hard now how would you like a good movement to help to firm up the thigh right along in here huh would you put your hands on your hips now take your left leg and just extend it right out to the side ready begin one two three four one two and three that's it two three two three now when we did this one we worked the front porch I have to tell you about our little terminology that we have this is the front porch this is the side porch and this is the back porch all right now I'm gonna show you something real fine to help to firm up the old hips the back part hang on to your chair that's like that bend over a little bit and lift your leg up as high as you can ready begin one slow up down keep your head up and two and three and four, one, two, three, four, up, down, and rest.
0: That's it. <clears throat> I really had an ulterior motive in showing you that, is because this is, as my wife said, this is my only opportunity to share with Grace Mills River or an organ in church. Um, <laughs> that's what we call an organ, whirler. What jackal? If I just had an outfit like that, I would exercise more. I think that's a bit. I would just do that. So. Stocking stuffer, honey, um, right there. He's talking about core strength. All of those exercises were about to, to firm everything up for your core strength, because if you don't have core, you don't have nothing, right? That's, you've heard that. That's, that's not a new idea. Paul, as we talked about last week, talked about spiritual gifts specifically and how they are, to borrow a word that's kind of newly on the scene, bespoke, that they really are tailored to the individual to whom they're given, to the body for whom they are needed, for the greater good in all things. And in accordance with what he means for us in our life. That's the gifts that he gives us. And then at some point, you have to ask yourself, so why does he, why does he pan out immediately between <clears throat> verses 11 and verse 12 and start talking about the nature of the church? Why does he need to go there? <clears throat> I think because Paul knows you, and he knows me, and he knows groups. And he knows when it comes to distinctions that are being made because gifts are distinct They have particular um, nature, particular function, particular purpose that has opportunity then to help mature the body. That's what gifts are for. They're not primarily about how to make you feel good about yourself. They're about how the body can grow into maturity. When you start talking about distinctions, what happens when when you talk about distinctions? Distinctions, if left to themselves, lead to division. So some of you are familiar with Dr. Seuss. And are among those many stories that Dr. Seuss once told. One was about the star-bellied sneetches, right? <clears throat> Some of the sneeches had stars upon bars, and others did not. And what happened when those that noticed that they had stars noticed those of those that did not? Well, ha ha, what are you missing? What's wrong with you? And those that had not started to feel like, I'm nothing. And so what did you hear? But because they had stars, all the starberry sneeches would brag, we're the best kind of sneech on the beaches, right? And then up comes, you know, a natural capitalist to capitalize upon the polarization between two people and start selling people stars to feel better. And then it was a mess. Division happens. Distinction, if left to itself, if misunderstood or kept within the human condition, it'll lead to division. Now that's funny. That's cute. And ironically, as you read the storyline, that was all about anti Semitism at a time. I wonder if that's in the news. <clears throat> that's cute. That's a story. Kids love it. Read it to my kids, whatever. But it, it, it goes deeper than that. Um, I've mentioned Jonathan Haidt's research before, uh, he talks about social media. Uh, tweet comes out this week. He says, look, Instagram is the worst for teen mental health for girls. TikTok is probably the worst for their intellectual development. It's about comparison. So watch the parents go, give me that phone, <laughs> right? There are things in our lives, not just with teenagers, but with adults too. There is a thing about the human condition that if left to itself, is a, it's, a, it's, it's a recipe for destruction, and it's this human inevitable inclination to compare yourself to contrast yourself, and in the context of that comparison and contrast to sort of inwardly if unconsciously compete, and, if, and then if it really gets out of hand, you start condemning. You're the star-bellied snitch with the star that looks like I'm the one without it and goes, what's your problem? Or if you're the one without it, you think, what's my problem? You know, there's Jonathan Haidt's research. Uh, if you saw the social dilemma that came out during COVID-tide, you know. Uh, <clears throat> If, if you're not being asked to um, purchase a product, then you are the product. You are the ability for advertisers to make a ton of money, because then they get you to think about things that you are not, and the things that they have that you need. It's the way it goes. I have some Olivia Rodrigo fans in my house, and, and there's, a, there's a song that she wrote called Ballad of a Homeschool Girl that starts like this. Uh, Cat got my tongue. I don't think I can get along with anyone. Blood running cold. I'm on the outside of the greatest inside joke, and I hate all my clothes. Feels like my skin doesn't fit right over my bones, so I guess I should go. The party's done, and I'm no fun. I know, I know, I know. Look, that's it. Uh, Writ large in uh, in an adolescent world that I'd love to say we all graduate from when we leave adolescence, if only. Comparison, contrasting, competing, and then condemning, whether of others or self, that's a thing, and you know it. Some of you admit it. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, you know, that kind of might feel like, what's going on like that? But we do that. We can't help but size each other up and then start to go, oh man, glad I'm not them, or I really wish I were them, and I feel hollow that I'm not. What has Paul got to circle back to say to a church in the middle of talking to them about to each one of you has been given a gift, and they're not all the same, and they don't have the same function, and each gift should help you realize you have limitations. He's got to go back and say, can we talk again about what unites us? What is the thing that most holds us together? He knows where distinctions can go, and now he's got to talk about what holds us together. And he says that in the first two verses, verse 12 and 13. Hear it again. For just as the body is one, and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body... So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we all were made to drink of one spirit. There's there's one word that you heard four times in those two verses, and it's the word one. It's why we read John 17. Jesus' punchline in that, in prayer for the church, is that they might be one. Because he knew what's the last thing in our mind when you start throwing people together, that we're unified or that the unity is based upon something that ends up becoming fractious. We are one. We compose a body, and that is my idea for what I'm comparing to the idea of core strength. Core strength holds everything together. If that falls apart, other things flail. If that is intact, other things are good. If your sense of common identity is intact, other things are good. Other pitfalls can be avoided. When he says one on a number of occasions, he's there, and it's a very Trinitarian statement there in verse 12 and 13. You will hear every member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one essence, one being, three persons, one Godhead. They've all got a part to play in this one, just like a body. And you hear that we are all baptized into one body. We all have a common need. I'm not okay and you're not okay. I'm afflicted, I'm corrupt, I'm self-absorbed, I am mercurial. I do all sorts of things that I look at myself and go, where does that come from? I all have a, we all have a common affliction. And at the same time I say that, we all have a common remedy. Favor, forgiveness, future, that is a function of what it means to be baptized into one body. You belong to him because of him. Your greatest belonging, no matter how else and how much you belong to others, to a family, to a spouse, to a school, to a community, to a nation, all of those things, they lay a certain claim on you and they have a certain psychological effect on the way you think about yourself. All of those things, no matter how important you think of them, they are still nothing, nothing to how you belong to him and you belong to each other in him. That's your baptism. You are baptized into him, into one people. You have one Lord. His death means your forgiveness. His resurrection means your resurrection. One Lord, that's Jesus. One spirit. You are indwelt by him. You are confronted by him. You are consoled by him, you are illumined by him, you are convicted by him, that's your commonality. When you grasp that, all sorts of things fall into place. That's your core identity. That's your core strength. And what that therefore enjoins upon each one of us is to be reminded of that identity. That more often than you think is necessary, You must take your heart in hand and remind yourself, this is what most defines me. And you need others to come alongside you when you forget, when even talking to yourself is not working and it feels like water off a duck's back. They need to say to you, I need to remind you who you belong to. I need that. I need encouragement. So do you. Kevin Van Hooser is a New Testament theologian He wrote a book about five years ago called Hearers and Doers. And and he invoked the very same metaphor we've begun this whole service with, or this whole sermon with, about fitness and how discipleship is actually, uh, to borrow a line from the military, becoming fit for purpose. Um, You are his by faith alone, by grace alone. It's not because of your works, lest anyone should boast. But why did he do that? Not simply that I might know that alone, even though that would be enough, but to fit you for purpose. And so, uh, Christianity Today, about five years ago, kind of took Kevin Van Hooser's words and condensed them into a wonderful little essay. And I'll just say um, there's an illustrator that works for Christianity Today that I thought was rather clever about what it means to practice your core identity. What does it mean to practice your core exercises? So here's the first one. Step one, assume a comfortable sitting position with your Bible. Step two, open Bible, read a verse thoroughly, repeat for a set of passages. Step three, bring your hands together in a prayer position, talk to God about what you read. Huh, oh, Oh, eureka! We together have to read and reflect about what what does God believe about you? you? We always ask ourselves, what do we believe about God? You have to ask yourself, what does God believe about you? That's a core strength. That's a core exercise. Um, What about this one? Uh, Step one, uh, bend and stretch to pick up a $20 bill. Drop by the person in front of you. Step two, return to a standing position while you consider keeping it. Step three, decide to give it back. Extend your arm and return the money. In other words, when Paul says, whatever you've seen in me, imitate me. What does Jesus say most often? What we spent months and months talking about going through the gospel of Mark? The simplest and yet most understood uh, word in Jesus' nomenclature. Follow me follow me. Believe, yeah, 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 for sure, follow me. Or, or consider this last one, start, step one, start from a standing position in your pew. Pews are what they have in churches in some places. It's, they're wooden, they have padding, and there's a hymnal in front, right? Step one, start from a standing position in your pew. Step two, turn and face your neighbor, make eye contact. Step three, extend your hand to your neighbor and shake. Smile. <laughs> some of you really actually needed that this morning. Um, oh, 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 right. Um, that's when I go out for a smoke break. Uh, that's what it means. Together, together we extend ourselves unto one another. We are known and we know. Those uh, wonderfully clever uh, tongue-in-cheek illustrations actually summarize for you how do you practice your core strength? How do you practice your sense of identity? Those are ways. They're not the only ways, but you could do worse than follow those, that three-step regimen These three things to fitness. Wellness of a church involves core strength, which is a sense and a sustaining sense of common identity that is practiced and deepened by our sense of ourselves, reminding ourselves, and then having the rest of you remind me, dude, you forget yourself. Let's talk about the second thing. Let's talk about inner balance. Uh right inner balance and you think that's just one thing he just lifted his leg on the contrary I, I read up on Harvard you know uh, medical school this week about inner balance you know what is going on in just this a whole let's see how long you it. Um a whole set of systems just contributed to me being able to practice balance my central nervous system my inner ear my eyes my muscles my joints my bones all of that came into play right then right th- I did it again right there Inner balance, it's all happening. Now, not all of those systems that are working at the same time all carry the same weight. They're all doing different stuff at different times. Some of them are more essential than others. Every single one of those systems is essential for me to be able to do this, every one. They all work together. Compromise any one of those. My central nervous system goes out, my inner ear goes out, my muscles say no, I can't do that. Inner balance is essential. Most of this passage is Paul talking about what I'm here comparing to the sense of interbalance. And, and let me just sort of unpack what I mean by the metaphor of interbalance. He's already established the ways in which we are unified, how we are one, what we all share in common. But now he's going to talk about how we are differentiated. And that in that differentiation, there is strength. In that differentiation, there is balance. And the sooner you and I understand that not only are we unique and differentiated, but that we need one another's differentiation as part of this body, the sooner you and I get that, the greater the chance that this church will ever have the kind of inner balance that he's talking about. So when he gets there, he has to address two maladies that tempt every single body of believers And I'm going to use very modern terms and apply it to that ancient setting because I think that they work. The two pitfalls that anybody ever faces when it comes to being a body and sinking into balance, two things, two maladies. One, uh, inferiority complex, and two, a superiority complex. They both have to work out. You both have to face them. You both have to acknowledge them and manage them. So let's talk about the first one. When it comes to inferiority, uh, some of you maybe know the the song from Radiohead, I'm a Creep, right? I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. Paul kind of is channeling, sorry, Radiohead is sort of channeling Paul there uh, in verse 16 and 17 when he talks about what's what are we at risk of in any body coming together? If the foot should say, "Because I'm a hand, I don't belong," that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, "Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong," that would not make it any less a part of the body. That's the problem. In our differentiation, in our discovery that I have some gifts that others do not, or others have gifts that I do not, there is a temptation to think, ah, "That's," you know. Last week, if you were here, uh, you know, Galadriel passes out gifts to the fellowship, and, you know, Sam Gamgee gets his, and he gets this rope, and he looks at the other dudes that got knives, and he thought, you got any more of those knives? Um, That's kind of us. It's possible. Oh, oh, wow, that's really public, or that seems rather influential, or they probably get really a great deal of satisfaction from what they do, but I, you know, nobody knows or anything like that. Hmm. Paul is coming at you. He wants to say to you, what are you doing, man? Smacks you on the back of the head. Stop it. Stop it. The Lord has come for us. He's come to give us these things. And unfortunately, when we start to make some certain comparisons and feel as if our gifts are not as important as others, we become kind of this amalgamation of Charlie Brown and uh, sadness from inside out. Everything's terrible. (laughs) um, uh, I killed it. I can't do anything right. Uh, I'm sorrowful. That's where we go. And he's saying... The differentiation is essential because not everybody has all the gifts. You heard him say it. Nobody has the same gift. In fact, if everybody had the same gift, that's not a body. If we were all hands, um, I'm sorry, there's there's no body there. You can't do it. So he says there in verse 18, "Um, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged every part for a purpose. Uh, You know, Eyes can't hear. Ears can't smell. Every part matters. Every part belongs. Every part brings something to the table. That's what it means to be balanced. When you see that in yourself, when we see that in others, when you join this church, if you ever elect to do so, one of the last things you do before you are presented before the congregation is that you sit down with an elder and just have a sort of a Honest conversation. What do you sense the Lord is doing? What do you sense the gospel is? How do you how do you make sense of that? And then along the way, part of the conversation entails what are what are affinities and aptitudes that you kind of bring to the table that you could offer in service to the church for its own well being and upbuilding. And if you check off the box none, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Um, anybody who's made in the image of God and who is saved by His grace has also been furnished with gifts you have something to offer. And Paul is out there to remind you that you do, and therefore checking none doesn't work. It's a false modesty that doesn't work. Inferiority is a problem, and that has to be remedied in the life of the body. But there's another one that perhaps is even more sinister, and that's the idea of superiority. And how Paul addresses the phenomenon of the spirit of superiority welling up in some uh, you're going to hear it and go, he said, what? Let me let me put it in this way. There is a capacity in any group um, for some to think too highly of themselves. Uh, and I will look at the hand and go, you know what? I don't think you're really necessary. And sometimes... Commentators will listen to what Paul is saying here and wonder if there's maybe a sense in which he's picking metaphors, you know elements of our bodies that actually have a metaphorical thing in mind and so some argue that when he says the eyes think the hands aren't important. He's thinking, well, if you have an eye, you know you, you are reading, you are searching for truth, and so your responsibility for grasping that truth and helping others to see, whereas the hands are the, literally the hands-on people that help pull the thing together. And if ever somebody that's a teacher looks down on somebody who's more hands-on to help out, it's kind of like, stop it. That's the hand hitting you, except hitting the eye. Um, cut it out. You can't go there. You need hands-on people. You will always need hands-on people. It's the way it works, and you've got to go there, and where Paul is going to go to unpack this idea is, I'll just, I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to say by way of preface, brace yourself, because of the imagery he's using there, you're going to go, I'm sorry, what? Listen again, Uh, verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. What is he talking about? Um, you will never, after I unpack this, ever accuse Paul of being a prude. Uh, because when he's referring there to weaker parts and less honorable parts and unpresentable parts, um, watch or listen carefully to the middle school guys all going... <laughs> um, he's talking about those parts that, m- thankfully, all of you took pains to cover up today before you showed up for which I give you thanks right (laughs) I I, I am grateful for your consideration and your conscientiousness to us all he's talking about the parts that we cover and what's he trying like don't press the analogy too far all right he is saying this have you ever thought Paul says that the parts that you and I all took pains today to cover up they're actually rather crucial right the parts that you covered up, if those parts didn't exist, there is no you. The parts for creation, the parts for nourishment, all of that, you have no idea. And unfortunately, um, it's, it may be that, that when we're talking about weaker, tender, right? Uh, less presentable, stuff that you want to like, oh, uh, thanks. Did they have it in your size? You know, stuff like that. Um, those parts are actually crucial, Don't mistake the fact that they are hidden or covered as any indication as to their importance. So again, it's a don't press the analogy too far. He's not comparing certain gifts to private parts. He's just saying this. This is the principle that has to be in play for a church in whom inner balance works. Is that there are parts of us that are not public, that are more hidden, that are more modestly presented that do not have a a public fixture in some ways. And and here he's not just talking about maybe spiritual aptitudes or gifts, he's also talking about your experiences, your storylines, your backgrounds, your sufferings. The things that shape you, the things that in God's providence has somehow brought you to this place, some of those are more hidden They contribute to the life of the body in ways that are without fanfare, without a stage, without a mic, without ever giving announcements, without directing or organizing things. But if ever you start to think that those parts should be marginalized or that we don't need them, my friends, we are broken. Those parts that may get never fanfare or that only a few people are even aware of the gift that God has given them from whom they benefit from that gift, even those parts, they are due honor and respect. When a church believes that and attends to them, even though they are more hidden, that church has their balance. That's a mark of wellness. One last one. And you might say that this third mark of wellness is an indicator, a litmus test of you know that stuff they put in your teeth to see where the plaque is like here's an indicator of whether or not there's core strength or if there's inner balance and it's what I'm calling flexibility. Flexibility, so I'm told, <laughs> I don't have any, um, <clears throat> increasing flexibility it's it's really actually crucial it's not just can I touch my toes, oh that's great, wow impressive. Uh, flexibility matters because it means you are capable, you, you are actually less prone to injury you have greater uh, endurance in moments that just sort of life requires of you. Flexibility is not just sort of a, um, something to marvel at, it's actually for your benefit that flexibility be yours. It's essentially, it, it means muscular strength. The quality of wellness that I'm trying to draw out here from the metaphor of flexibility is this, is the church's capacity to span a distance. Okay, that's still metaphorical. I promise I'll get to it. When, when it comes to touching your toes, uh, the part that is far away from my toes is able then to reach down and span that distance to reach my toes. Flexibility is the capacity to span, to, to breach, to, to, to close the distance between something that is far away um, from something else. What, what does that look like in the life of the church? It is the capacity to weep with those who weep, to sympathize with those who are in sorrow. But also, when one is honored, for others to feel a similar kind of thrill for them being honored. But that actually is a mark of wellness. That's called flexibility. So he says there, in the last two verses of the passage, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. We've heard that part. There there may be no division, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Flexibility is the capacity to bridge the distance between that one person suffering and the whole body suffering along with them. For one member who is being honored, for the whole crew to be able to rejoice with them, there's a neurological discovery in the last 50 or 60 years, I don't well, maybe not. Maybe it's, maybe it's even more recent. Uh, anybody ever heard of something called mirror neurons? Uh, let's see, Marilyn Robinson reminded us that we have more neurons in a single brain than there are stars in the Milky Way. That's pretty impressive, that's all, pick a number. You'll be counting for a very long time. But there's these things in our neurons called mirror neurons, and even if you don't know what they are, you've, you've experienced them. Because somebody tells you they went on a skiing trip, and their ski caught a rock, and it wrenched their knee, and they came out of their skis, and they're now hyper-extended their knees, and and you just hear them tell that story, and you know what? You just felt a little twitch in your kneecap. You weren't there. You didn't see it happen, but them just telling you about it, like, you are able to go, ow. And all sorts of biologists go, why do we develop that aptitude? But I'll tell you, like, I don't need to know. I, I just need to know this. That thing, that neurological quality and capacity in us is an indicator of the capacity to then sympathize with somebody, what they're going through. Whether it's suffering or whether it's joy. Paul is saying true flexibility, true wellness in a body is a capacity to genuinely suffer with those who suffer and genuinely to rejoice with those who are honored. Whether you were there at all, whether you had any participation in that of it. Let me, let me show you, let me just unpack that. Let me help you look at it a little bit. Um, I've I've invoked the movie before Lars and the Real Girl. If you can get past the initial premise, it is a fabulous story, and I I really recommend it to you. Do your research. It is about a a very troubled man who has a very troubled story that we don't know much about, but through the storyline we come to discover that, who orders a life-size doll and believes that that life-size doll is alive and tells everybody in that community, her name is Bianca, she's a missionary to Argentina, um he says that i'm serious and that uh she's having conversations with him and the whole community it's a lutheran community up up in minnesota um and they all kind of realize you know bianca's here for a reason for some reason he's working something out and the whole community comes around i I think if you're ever going to be a deacon or elder in this church or deaconess you should watch that film because that's what community looks like well here towards the end of the film at risk of maybe ruining it, he senses that maybe Bianca is not only sick, but maybe is terminal. And everybody's like, what does this mean? What's he talking about? What do we do? And so here in this moment, Lars, played by Ryan Gosling, is sort of marveling at what the community does in that moment to attend to him. And just, is, just listen, it's beautiful. We sent
1: Gus and Karen to the movies. They didn't want to leave you, too. No, I'm glad to see. T- I'm glad they left. I feel terrible with all this is happening so close to the baby coming. And that's how life is, Lars. Everything at once. We brought casseroles. <laughs> I should be doing right now no dear you eat we came over to sit that's what people do when tragedy strikes they come over and sit don't you feel a little better
0: That's what a community does when a tragedy strikes you. Come over and sit. They know he's struggling with something. They're trying to figure it out too. They are there. They are there. That's flexibility. That is, I, I don't know fully what you're going through, but I will, I will dwell with you in it. Even if you feel utterly disoriented, destabilized in it, that's, that's the mark of wellness in the community. It's flexible like that. As it accords with human nature, that is actually easier than the other thing that Paul talks about uh rejoicing with the honor of another that's harder because there's all part of us that feel insecure and we kind of wish we had what another has and we, so like um Wimbledon Djokovic loses, loses to Alcaraz, right and he gives a speech afterwards and somebody asks him how do you feel right now and he goes I'll feel better tomorrow but right then he was disappointed and look He's in a crowd of 10,000 people. So there's a certain social pressure for him to say, I really love the way Alcarez won. He really deserved this win. I, I got to you know, the sports nomenclature. I got to give credit, <laughs> right? He says that. Now, if he had said up there, that guy's a, you know, a schmo and he shouldn't have won, right? He would never have done that. But there's a certain social pressure. But you see in that speech after Wimbledon, Djokovic looking at him and really just sort of praising Alcaraz for his fortitude and his skill and resilience. And he's honoring the one who has bested him. And that's like you, if you can't win well, you'll, if you can't lose well, you'll never win well, right? That's what they'll tell you whenever you play sports. And in that moment, he is honoring the one and rejoicing with him at some level. He sees a bigger picture, and he does. In that speech, he sees his son, and he kind of weeps, breaks down, like, I love my kid. Like, that matters. I lost Wimbledon. I have a few plates. Friends, I hope that you would see in this moment not only the capacity to suffer with those who suffer and to rejoice with the one who is honored, how desperately you and I are for the gospel, for that to resonate with us, for that to be true. We not only need Jesus who shows us what it looks like as a model of being so convinced about to whom he belongs as a member of the eternal Godhead. There's never a question about who he is or whose he is. And he is one who shows no favoritism. He's not doesn't play to your elite status. He'll sit with anybody. He'll, he'll eat with tax collectors and sinners. He'll hang out with those in authority, and he'll hang out with those that are the, the, the dregs of society. He doesn't care. And he will be the one to reassure and call you to a place and weep with those who weep and marvel at the faith of those that are least likely the ones to show forth faith. He'll do that. He's a model of that, and we need that. And when we see that and we're, we're impressed by that, we're enamored by that with the help of His Spirit, we start to be able to demonstrate that kind of flexibility that shows our strength and shows our balance. But until you see Him as more than a model until you see him as one who has accomplished something on your behalf such that you have no belonging in the Lord and you have no reconciliation with God for the things that you know you can't compensate for or atone for. When you see that, even in the smallest ways, when you believe that, suddenly you are so humbled by what he has done for you that you will weep with those who weep. And you will not try to find your identity so desperately in being the one at the top of the heap. But are very glad to rejoice with those that on that day bested you. Because he is enough for you. And that's why we're coming to the table. Again. Because we forget. Because we need to do this together. Because we need his spirit to do something in us more than just the reminder that he died for us. And that because he was risen, there is hope that actually what he promised will come to pass. That's a body that's well. Is that the body that you are trying to be a part of? Or are you content to be the dangling appendage for which we all were wondering, come on in, man, you've got something here. This is his body, and that's what wellness looks like. So let's pray. Would you help us to see and to value what it means to believe that we are yours and to believe that we are each other's and that each has something to contribute to the upbuilding of this body, whether it's very public or whether rather private. Would you build into us through the work of your spirit a real compassion for one another and that at the same time is able to rejoice genuinely to champion one who is in a place of honor, at least in that moment, that we are not. We ask your strength for that, your humility for that, and your thanksgiving for the gifts that you've given and, and the body to whom you've given them in Jesus' name.